My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 490. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who does want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we are going to play clips from one of our favorite podcasts, Dax Shepard's podcast. Isn't that right, sweetie? It's called Armchair Expert. And actually, this one is called Expert on Experts, yes. right? He has two different types. One, he interviews celebrities, and other times he interviews somebody else who is not a celebrity but is an expert in their field. Mm-hmm. And uh, he interviews a guy named, uh, is he a doctor? Yeah, he's a doctor, Dr. Yep. Michael Gervais. Psychologist. <clears throat> he's a sports psychologist. He works with the Seahawks. And we're gonna, I'm going to play three different clips from the podcast uh, between an exchange between Dax and Michael, and that I thought were all relatively profound. But first, um, Kathy and I are going to be teaching at a place called 1440, and that's on October blah, blah, blah. Do you remember what the dates are, sweetie? 25th through 27th or I'm, something I'm like that? I'm pulling it up on my Google Calendar. I, how do we get by without Google Calendars before I don't know Google Calendars? Yeah, October 25th through the 27th. Um, yeah, I, I, I sometimes laugh when I see somebody who has, like Frank, my good friend, he still uses a hand calendar. So some of my girlfriends do too, and, like journal uh, calendars. It just seems like it's inconvenient. Well, it's convenient if you're the only one looking at it. I think the reason we went to Google Calendar is because now we have five people. That's right. That's right. Five people and three kids who are busy doing a lot of different things. Correct. Um, and, um, I have a tribe men's group this Wednesday, which would be tomorrow if any of the guys in the Chicagoland area are interested. And then we're doing something different for the tribe men's group on May 4th. We're having a taste of the tribe, um, kind of social event. Um, Is that what you're calling it? That's, I just came up with it. <laughs> the taste of the tribe men's group. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have uh, beer, alternate beverages, pool table music, and we're going to do like a, maybe a 20-minute talk on what the tribe's all about. So if there's guys that are out there that are interested who haven't yet jumped into a tribe meeting, this is kind of a nice, easy way to kind of see what it's all about. So, um, so but without further ado, I'm going to um, play the first clip. And um, this is, I titled it as I was writing my notes while listening to this podcast. Oh, by the way, so Kathy and I, um, I have a new system that I think, Kathy, you're you're okay with. We listen to podcasts all the time, uh-huh. don't we? And a lot of times I'm like, oh, you should listen to this. And you're like, oh, you should listen to this. It's really good. Uh, so we have a rating system. Right. So if I say, if I listen to a podcast that I think is outstanding and she must listen to it, I say, this is a number one. A two is like, if you get time, I really think you'd like it. Number three is like, oh, if you got nothing else to you listen to. You got a long to. drive. So um, I think when you said, I, was this a number one or uh-huh. a number two for I, you? Yeah, I said it was a number one for you. Yes, because uh, it's a lot of sports stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's cool about this interview with this guy, Michael Gervais. I never heard of him, but I talked to some buddies when I was having lunch with them on Friday. And one of the guys, my friend Josh, um, said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Did you ever hear this guy beforehand? Uh, you know, it's funny. When I heard who was going to be on, I thought it was an actor, probably because I thought Ricky Gervais is yeah. what I was thinking. Um, so, no, 
My answer is no. Um, so, yeah, I was going to say something interesting, but it just left the vestibule. Must sweetie. not have been that interesting. No, no. Oh, I remember. You're like, stick with it. Because there's certain parts of yeah. the podcast that, I don't know, they just kind of go in a direction I'm not that interested in. I think the beginning is just so much history. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, that can be interesting for for, it just depends on who's listening, yeah. but I thought it got pretty interesting in the middle. It did. So I'm glad you said that because I would have honestly mm-hmm. turned it off, but you, because you're like, no, just hang with it. And it was really good. And what's great is, you know, you think, oh, sports psychology, what's that have to do with anything? Well, these three clips, we're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about being your best and a little bit about consent, which yeah. is actually from Dax, yeah. not necessarily from Michael Gervais. But anyways, so this uh, one, uh, so Dax just finished, and I didn't include this on what we're about to play. He just finished saying how it's kind of stupid to tell your kids that they could be president. Yeah. Okay. And then it kind of goes into an exchange between Dr. Gervais and Dax. So here we go. That's right. That's really good. And the science backs that up as well. Like when you're going to coach kids or talk to kids or parent them, um, we want to align our conversations up with things that they're actually in control of. So they're not in control of becoming a president or not. Right. Right. But they are in control of things like effort and attitude and attention to detail and, you know, getting up after a mistake, like the way they adjust to adversity, you know? So when we talk about those things with our young people, more often than outcomes, mm-hmm. like getting the job yeah. versus like learning from mistakes or whatever. Then the kid goes, oh, you know, like I can do that. I can figure out things that are in my control. Yeah. And then back to that big word, like agency, where people become agents. They, they are not victims of the circumstances, but they actually put themselves in positions of control. Mm-hmm. So there we go. So once again, this is nothing that we haven't either talked right. about before. It's just... I really enjoy hearing messages that I am feel in alignment with, but coming from a different background. And for me, this is like, you know, I think we all as parents have a natural tendency to protect our kids. And what's funny is if we do that, you know, there's a balance in everything. Of course, there's times when you have to protect your kids from running out in the street or when you know that you're putting them in positions of significant risk where there's no irreversibility to it. But most of the time... If our kids fail at whatever it is, they're going to survive. But our, my, not our, my ego is sometimes tied up like, oh, well, if they fail, then what kind of parent will I be? As opposed to this is how they learn. They learn from failing. When I play basketball, I become a much better basketball player playing with guys that are better than me versus guys that are a lot worse than me. And I think that that same idea carries forth through parenting. Well, and what I picked up more uh, on this part was that <clears throat> it's how we talk to our kids about what their goals are, because it's one thing, you know, it's one thing for us to say, you can do anything you want, you know, you can be anything you want, but we also have to include what kind of work that may take, right. that you don't just get to decide you're going to be something and then you become it. You know, it's like that, you know, when people first started reading The Secret and didn't really, un- you remember the book yes, The Secret? absolutely. And they didn't really understand that you don't just put up a picture on a vision board and then it just magically happens. That's not the way it works. The picture on a vision board is for you to get in a mindset of how do I get there yeah. and what kind of hard work do I have to to do to get to a place where maybe that home or that car or that job or that person I want to meet becomes possible. But it's not just about wishing for it. And I think sometimes as parents, 
we say things to our kids like, you can be president or you can be whatever you want to be, or you can be a professional athlete. And, but we have to be realistic about what that means. You don't just get to like kind of half-ass your life and then you can automatically be president. There has to be an understanding of how much work it entails. Right. Well, and then this is the slippery slope in it because I do believe in positive affirmations. Like I think he even talks about an example of making a free throw. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with picturing in your mind and saying to yourself, I will make this free throw. But if you're not going to practice a bunch and, you know, get into a routine of, you know, when I shoot free throws, I dribble three times, I try my best to visualize it, I bend my knees. And the only way to get good at making free throws and, you know, insert whatever example that you want regarding ourselves or our kids being good at anything you do need to work at it. So you can't just blindly like, oh, well, I'm just going to visualize it and it will come to happen. Well, I think one thing he explains at some point in this uh, podcast, and I don't think you have this clip, but he talks about how people, because he works with elite athletes, mm-hmm. and he talks about how the things that they focus on are, first of all, their physical well-being, right? Yeah. Their physicality, what they eat, their nutrition, working out. And then they focus on, he used the word hobby, mm-hmm. just so he could make it accessible to everybody, which means if you're a basketball player, you play basketball every day. If you are a coder, you code every day. If you are a you know a writer, you have to get up and write every day. So you work on your hobby. So you work on your physicality, you work on your hobby, and And then the third thing is you have to befriend your mind. So that's where affirmations come into play, where it's like elite athletes or elite anybody's understand that you have to have a sense of my mind is going to tell me I can't do things. Mm -hmm. And I am going to understand that I don't need to pay attention to that or I can acknowledge that as fear. And I can say to myself, I am going to make this basket. Like this is where mindfulness comes into play. Right. And he talks about alignment and I forget the three things he talks about, but one is obviously your mind needs to be in a certain mm-hmm. place and then your behavior needs to be in it. And, and I forget what the third one is, but he talks about like a three-legged stool. Like if these three things are in alignment, you will... Well, I think it's the things I just said. Well, I may not have used the words exactly the way he did, but your physical well-being... Right. Knowing your skill, and again, I think he used the word hobby because mm-hmm. I I talked about this with my college students last week. Okay, focusing on your skill. Like, let me just go back to what I was saying about the president thing. So you're raised in a home where your parents say to you, "You can be president. You can be president." But they there is no hard work. There's no um, focusing on taking care of yourself. There's no um, practicing or doing your homework or figuring out what you need to do to become president. Like what are the kind of, maybe saying president isn't the right thing. Um, what you need to do to become elite at something. They just are only focusing on the affirmations and that's where you're going to fall flat. It has to be a mixture of, you know, again, that may be the three-legged stool that you're referring to. Right. I'm trying to come up with a certain part of this song. Isn't there a line? Oh, this is a karaoke uh, version. I was going to play. Isn't there a line in Pink, Little Pink Houses where he says, Boy, you're going to be president. Yeah. But just like everything else, zoo, zoo, crazy, crazy dreams. dreams. Just kind of came and went. Yep. And, you it's know. It's kind of a negative. Not, not ne- I love Mellencamp, by the way. Well, it's not negative. I mean, most people, if you ask a first grade class who here wants to be president, mm-hmm. everybody raises their hand. Right. And then you realize as you get older that not everyone is supposed to be president. Yeah. It's not about that everybody's failing. It's that 
some people are supposed to be that kind of leader. Some people are supposed to be elite athletes. Some people are supposed to be accountants. Some people are supposed to be full-time parents. Some, and, and that's what we start to separate into what, who, who we want to be. Well, I just remember in being, I've done a lot of different management trainings and this goes back like, I don't know, 10 years or maybe more, but they said, you know, people, uh, depending on what type of circles you run in, people are like, oh, everybody needs to rise to be leaders of mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I remember the guys like, and it was about personality types, like not everybody's mm-hmm. supposed to be a leader. Exactly. Like, you know, for the industry, I sell to pre-stress concrete manufacturers and, you know, there's a lot of hard manual labor work that has to be done that they're not leaders, they're doers, like mm-hmm. they're building these things. And they're good at it. And they're good at it. Um, and for you to try to train that person to become a leader, like they don't want to be leaders. Well, this is where we get into, does everybody need to go to college? Right. You know, there's there's very uh, fantastic jobs if you go into the trade, mm-hmm. jobs that can sustain you throughout a lifetime, um, jobs that you can get by going to community college, jobs that you can get in apprenticeship programs. We've created this mindset of for your college, you know, that's how you're going to become a leader. But there are many different ways. Um, there are opportunities that sometimes we miss because we have kind of a one track mind about what it means to be successful. Right. Um, okay. You ready for the second clip? I am. All right. Let me do this, do this. Here we go. And then this one is about, uh, I think he talks a little bit about Kobe Bryant and Shaq. Uh-huh. And because there is a, and I don't know if they mentioned this in the clip or not, but there's a documentary on Showtime that Kobe did. About Kobe, yeah. And I haven't seen it. Neither have I. But apparently it's like the ridiculousness of his routine. Yes. To be the best ever. And some people say Kobe was the best ever. Some people say Kobe is better than MJ and better than LeBron and everything else. Yeah. I don't think most people would, but some people would. Like he was a sick beast. He's at least in the top three. He, to some, yeah, like other people say, you know, Kareem and all these other places. But yes, he's... He's, he's one of the best. He's one mm-hmm. of the best. So um, here we go with that discussion. Playing something that is deeper. Now, if you want to be the best, there's there's challenges there. There's also challenges if you're trying to be your best. Yeah. You can get caught in this world of naivete. You don't know what other people are doing and like well, what, what world standards are. Yeah. Can I give you one example? Mm. Um, I, I'm nervous to bring this up because I actually like him uh, and I would love to have him on, but I'm going to say it. There was a, a documentary on Showtime about Kobe Bryant. Did you see it by chance? I haven't, but I, okay. so many people have talked about it. Like, okay. he's a, he, What he's done is pretty extraordinary. Right. So I watched it. One of my best friends, Andrew Panay, watched it. We had lunch, and he's like, oh, God, you see that documentary? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. I mean, that's how you, man, that's how you accomplish your goals, and that's how you that's how you get into action. That's how you, you got to have singular focus, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's interesting that was your takeaway. My takeaway was this guy, by my assessment, ruined his life for this. You interview his teammates. They say terrible things about him. You interview people about Shaquille O'Neal. I don't think that guy ever played to his potential. But everyone loved him. He had a great time. His life has been fantastic. And I think, oh, wow, everyone's so caught up in that blue ribbon that you would actually choose an unhappy life without tons of friends, without people loving you and liking you and enjoying being around you. For this thing to say I was number one, so what on your deathbed, you can die peacefully knowing that you were number one. To me, I saw that documentary as like the biggest cautionary tale I've ever seen. It made me go, 
Hold on, be careful. What, what's the cost of being number one? Because I don't think it's worth it. Boom. Yeah. So obviously that's in alignment with what you and I have been. Well, and it's, you know, it's what we believe, but it's also, it's it's not just about you and I, it's about what we know research-wise about what sustains a person's contentment. You know, the happiness study that we talked about uh, about a month ago regarding what is it, you know, the, the long study for 72 years where yeah. they figured out finally what it is that creates the deepest happiness, it's relationships. And then we understand on top of that, the way that we're hardwired because of our mirror neurons and the way that we are dependent on each other to survive is connection. So if your sole focus in life is to be number one and to be the best. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he didn't have relationships or connections. Sure. He was on a team. I'm just going off of what Dax said yeah. there. Um, but it is a, it, 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 you know, and again, it's personality. There are some people who come into the world, who strive to be the best of the best of the best of the best, and they're just hardwired a certain way. Well, one thing that was cool about that clip, and it's actually happened just a little bit before the clip that I played. I don't know. I think Dax asks a question and my, and Michael very quickly, like that's what's good about Dr. Gervais is like he can quickly, um, I don't know, put it into an easy to understand way. It's yeah. like, well, are you talking about trying to be the best or try to be your best? Your best. You're right. Very that's different such thing. such a wonderful mm -hmm. distinction mm -hmm. because, you know, he works with top athletes, mm -hmm. you know, the Seattle Seahawks and all that other stuff. But I don't think he and Pete Carroll, who's the coach of the Seahawks, are trying to get anybody to be the best right. at anything. Right. He wants these individuals to be the best that they can be. Their potential. Their potential. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we slash I tend to, I don't do this as much anymore, but I would focus on, um, no, you got to be first and you got to win first place in the science fair or you got to be first chair in the orchestra or you got to win the tournament. And really, it's funny, we even just watched the, um, the movie version of Friday Night Lights. Uh -huh. And uh, Billy Bob is the actor who mm -hmm. plays the coach. Coach Gaines. And all that. And it has nothing, I think he talks about it as like, it has nothing to do with the scoreboard at the end of this game. Well, throughout the movie, they, and again, this is the movie, you guys, not the TV show, um, the, the movie based on the book. But he talks about, he says to his players, talking about being perfect. Mm -hmm. And so it's something throughout the whole movie they say to each other, you know, be perfect, be perfect. And I think there's an assumption as a viewer that he's saying, do everything right. And then at the end, when he gives a speech before they go out for the final half, he says, let me like explain what be perfect means. Right. It means that you did everything you could. It has nothing to do with the scoreboard. Can we play a few? Sure. It's real simple. You got two more quarters and that's it. Now, most of you have been playing this game for 10 years. And you got two more quarters. And after that, most of you will never play this game again as long as you live. Now you all have known me for a while, and for a long time now you've been hearing me talk about being perfect. Well, I want you to understand something. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. It's not about winning. It's about you and your relationship to yourself and your family and your friends. Being perfect is about being able to look your friends in the eye and know that you didn't let them down because you told them the truth 
And that truth is, is that you did everything that you could. There wasn't one more thing that you could have done. Can you live in that moment? So it's a three-minute clip, mm-hmm. and I want to play the whole thing. No, you know? that's actually a good place to stop. That's you know what this made me think of? This made me think of when I was coaching the girls' soccer team, and I don't know anything about soccer, but it's it was a, a, a so so it's like all volunteers, and you don't have to be good soccer coach to be a soccer coach for your seven-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to get them, like, you guys got to play defense. You got to play defense. And they weren't playing defense. And you said... Listen, I have an idea for you. Do you remember what your idea was? I don't. You're like, Nora is your goalie. Uh-huh. Goalies don't like to get scored on. Uh-huh. Do what you need to do to help Nora not get scored on. Also known as play defense. Uh-huh. But the fact that you invited me to reframe it to the to these girls. Saying, yeah, they don't know what defense means. And even if they did, it it didn't give it this like, oh, I I because they all played goalie at that yeah, age. Yeah, don't let everybody Nora, knows right. what it's like take to feel that way. Yeah, take care. Yeah, like take care of her, and that's exactly what he says right. in the speech: is take care of your friends and look them in the eye with clear eyes. What's the thing? No, that, that's in the mood. That's only in. I know. The what TV are, what show. do they say though? A uh, clear eyes, full heart can't lose. Clear eyes, full heart can't lose. It's wonderful. So, anyways, that's what that reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely, and that, and. I think like what you said, um, or maybe they said this on the podcast is when you get to the end of your life, what sustains you, Mm. you know, like when you look back on what you did, is it that you had a, um, something in the history books? Because most likely that's going to be broken. It's, it's interesting because right now for those of you who, you know, Abby Wambeck's book came out last week, Wolfpack, and she was at our conference this year. Um, and she has this record of the most goals uh, by male or female, most soccer goals ever. International goals. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be broken this year oh, yeah, by one right. of two people. And um, she is actually, she talks, it's funny because Glennon, her wife, will say things like, you know, kind of joke around, like, we don't want it to be broken, mm-hmm. you know. But Abby's like, that's the whole point is she talks about this in Wolfpack as she said, when they said to her, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And she goes, I don't, I want to be forgotten. I want you all to meet your goals and overcome my goals. And so I can contribute to the game, heighten the game, and then you continue to heighten it. It's not about remembering me. It's about you doing your work and that I was a part of that puzzle or a part of that hierarchy. And, um, I think that's what we're all doing is we do it for ourselves, We do it for our time, but to think that it will survive forever, you know, four minute mile, right? Somebody always breaks it. Right. And that can't be the only reason. No. And it's funny. I, I want to play this clip. This is the opposite of humility and what you just explained regarding <laughs> okay. Abby. Do you know who Ricky Henderson is? Uh, he's a football player. No. He's a race car driver. No. He's a baseball player. Yes. Okay. Who did he, he play for? He played for, I think, just the A's, but then, no, he played for a bunch of teams. But he broke the stolen base record over Lou Brock in 19, I don't know, like 1985 or whatever. And he has this speech, and I don't know, It's this is a minute and a half, so hopefully I won't have to play the whole thing. But Lou Brock is in the stands, and he, Ricky is known to be full of Ricky. Okay. He Rick, plays for Ricky. Ricky loves Ricky. Ricky, Ricky loves Ricky. Having said that, I did do a, a pretend baseball draft with my buddies 
Um, and you can pick any player from the history of the game. And my friend Marty picked Babe Ruth, and then Charlie picked Willie Mays, and I picked Ricky Henderson because he was such an... There was no player like him. Okay. He could hit home runs. He could steal bases. He was just an incredible player. Okay. So anyways, here's here's Ricky. The city of Oakland and all y'all beautiful fans for supporting me. I would like to thank my mom, my family, friend, and loved one for their support. I want to give my appreciation to the late Tom Trevorhan and the late Billy Martin. Billy Martin was a great manager. He was a great friend to me. I love you, Billy. I wish he was here. Luke Brock was the symbol of great base stealing. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. So what's funny about that is, is his, that, that speech goes in sports infamy because the only thing anybody remembers is that last line, which right. was, now today, I am the best. Right. And one, he's not wrong. He did beat Lou Brock's right, record. Right. But, you know, I played the whole minute and 15 seconds, and he just thanks all these different people. But nobody focuses on that. You just, people focus on... I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. And Lou Brock, I think, was in the stands. It's just kind of like, do you really have to say that? <laughs> but that's just the way he is. But it's funny. Like, I do think he kind of got a bad ride as a result yeah. of that. Well, Muhammad Ali used to talk like that. It's so funny. And he was loved. He was loved. And I think there was some, like, character to him, though. Like, he kind of, oh, yeah. you knew he was being, I mean, didn't Charles Barkley used to talk like that? Like, isn't this like a, there's some kind of like, it's like smack it's, talking, it, Right. That's, you know? You, you, you raise actually really good points. I think the difference is um, Barkley and Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali um, they had charisma and they had fun and they were silly. Yeah, they kind of like played to the crowd. And Ricky's um, reputation up to that point was not so great. Got it. And rep Ricky's reputation after that point was not so great. But it is funny how we just kind of focus on the one singular moment of that speech when really the other 95% yeah, of it a lot was of loving. Mm -hmm. So anyways, so, um, all right. So we're going to play the last clip. Okay. And this is a different clip. Um, and it's about consent and me too. Okay. And it's about how, you know, when we as human beings are, um, are put in a place of danger, we usually uh, fight. Oh, I know. This is such a good clip. And or uh, we fight, flight, freeze, or... Well, can I just back up for a second? Yeah. We, what we talk about is that we always say fight or flight. Yes. But the truth is we freeze. Right. Okay. So here's Dax. So actually, this is wisdom coming from Dax. He was actually a pretty smart guy mm -hmm. and very entertaining. So here we go. This is the aspect of the Me Too conversation that no one's talking about. We were watching a, a story on TV about the owner of this chain of restaurants in New York, and uh, he had some allegations against him. This woman, woman was explaining what happened to her in the car, which was she got in the car with her boss. He leaned over to kiss her and maybe touched her boob, and she froze. And what I was saying is, the guy's a creep, but what I had never considered in my life of someone who pursued women is that 
I might not get any signal. They might freeze out of fear of this situation. And I don't, there's no signals to really go on. And that's a, guys need to know that. Like, I don't know that. I'm expecting either no thank you, move away, I don't want to kiss, you know, something verbal, maybe something even nonverbal and physical, but I've never considered someone might just freeze. And I think it's a high percentage of people that just freeze. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a real brain strategy, you know, to deal with something that is threatening. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 but there's something wrong with the the other person in that experience that doesn't recognize exactly. the freeze. Like, I was just about to say that. Like, if you can't figure out, you know, I'm not talking about you, Dax, but yeah. like, if you can't figure out that someone is like completely rigid, uh -huh. you know, like there's a, there's a predatorial nature uh, about that that is still it's especially you know. if you're in an environment where you're trying to breed intimacy and somebody is totally rigid that's a good sign that they're not excited to keep going forward yes okay but just there you go so that's what i was gonna say is when he started you know he was explaining i didn't know or we have to tell people that and you know we're not given any physical signs and it's like rigidity is a physical sign mm -hmm. freezing and stopping breathing is a physical sign that and and they go on to talk about how we don't even though we do talk about freezing we we talk much more about fight or flight yeah and we go on to, uh they they give an example i think where monica says I think uh, Dr. Gervais says, now think about when you were little and you're in your room and you hear a sound or a door open. What do you do? Do you run? Do you fight? Or do you just freeze? Right. And we all freeze. I was, I'm thinking about even now, like, you know, you're out of town and I hear something downstairs. It takes me like a minute. I like get really, you know, you like get still. See, I feel like uh, to I, assess. I got, I took a, a different take out of that part of it because that was also memorable to me. That part where mm -hmm. Dr. Gervais said that, I, I feel like he was almost saying like, there's a connection between what you will do as an adult to how you would have approached when you're six years old in the bed and you're worried that the boogeyman is under the under the bed or in the closet or something like that. Some people will get up and open the closet and go pursue it. They, and they confront. might, but not Some first. people will go to their retreat to their mom and dad's bedroom and some people will freeze. That's what I got up. Well, and that may be true. Like I can't say, no, that's not true. But what's the first thing you do when you hear a sound? Imagine right now that you, we hear a loud sound. I what get do you quiet. Do? Right, which is freezing. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Then you may run to a different right. room or then, but we, we act as if the first thing we're going to do, like let's talk about what they were discussing around consent, yeah. is that someone touches us inappropriately and the first thing we do is hit or say no or yell. Sometimes the first thing you do yeah, is freeze. Yeah, the question is like, why did you fight back? Right. Did well, you say no? Yeah. Um, so it's funny, like we're all over the place on this podcast, which I think is fine, but we just did a sex ed for the 21st century in Downers Grove. And, you know, it's just becoming more and more clear to me how important the discussion of consent mm -hmm. is. And there's a lot of parents out there listening. So we need to make sure that the parents listening are talking to their sons and their daughters about what consent is. Mm -hmm. I was never taught what consent was. My guess is you weren't. Mm -mm. When I was growing up, it's like you go as far as you can with a girl until she says no. Now the answer is it's a clean, sober, affirmative yes. If you mm -hmm. don't get that, then it's a no. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these different stages in intimacy. There's kissing and then there's this and then there's mm -hmm. that. And as the... Each stage is a new opportunity. Each stage opportunity is a new opportunity to, to get mm -hmm. more consent. So... I think uh, Dax uh, had a really good point mm -hmm. in that, like, yeah, 
if if you are in an intimate situation, you and body language is not enough. That's the one thing I learned from Mike Domish's book, or one of many. He's like, you can't believe body language because people will hide behind body language. Like, oh, um, I just knew. I just knew that my partner wanted to keep going. Well, how did you know? I could just tell. You can't tell. That's mm-hmm. the one thing that they they know very clearly by the science is you cannot tell based upon what somebody's intentions are by what they're doing versus what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's the same way. This is stupid. But um, when you're on a blackjack table, you can never say hit me or stay. You either point to the table, which means mm-hmm. take a hit, or you put your hand like mm-hmm. that, and it means stay mm-hmm. because there's no room for... Actually, it's... Yeah, because there's room for... Oh, it's the opposite of what I'm saying. No, I think about it because that is body language. And why can't versus, you? But the, because the cameras need to pick up. That's what it is. That's the cameras, right? So scratch that. Left. You're like that part doesn't yes, count. Forget what I was just saying it's about body language, but it is interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, anything else you want to say about that clip, my darling? Well, just that, um, you know, that no, I don't think so because I would just be going down a new track. So I don't want to do that. You don't want to go down the new track. I don't. Um, so. One thing that Kathy and I do love doing is doing these sex ed for 21st century. So if you belong to a group and you want to get Kathy and I to come and talk to your group, we would love to do it. Just School, go- organization, group, you know, like if PTA. you get a big group of parents together. Yeah. Right. It really is, you know, we've done enough now where it's astounding how astounded people are, yeah. you know, and it's funny because people always come up to us before we start and they say, thank you for being so brave to talk about something so difficult. And Todd and I do not find this difficult. And I don't mean because we're, I don't, I, I'm saying that because we find it to be the most important thing in the world. Mm. Like, I don't feel nervous when I'm talking about these things. I don't feel as as if it's even controversial. Mm. This is just kind of the way of things. Out of all the different presentations we talk, this one is by far the easiest Mm -hmm. because I think of the impact. Exactly. If these parents take one or two really important points out of the discussion and they're going to go practice that and they're going to educate their young boys and girls, teenagers, whatever about this, like, I feel like that is making an impact. Huge ripple effect. And just even recognizing like, you know, what we don't get to dive into this too much because we only have a certain amount of time with the parents, but even in their own lives, there's a disconnect when it comes to sex and sexuality. The parents, you know, people our age are still dealing with their own shame, guilt, fear, and they're not even talking to their own partners Mm -hmm. about what's okay for them. You know, I know as a therapist or, you know, talking with people who are married, especially women, it's like this still, I don't want to say it's like a third rail. That's too extreme, but, you know. Of course it is. Sex Politics, religion, don't talk about any of those three things. I know, but that we would say in public, but with the person you love the most, there's still this extreme discomfort Mm -hmm. in explaining what's okay for you and what's not. And there's so much shame around it, or there's so much belief that there's old school, uh, you know, beliefs about what I owe someone or what's okay or what's not okay. And we really have to start like even though the conversations we're having with parents is so they can help their kids, 
they're, it's also so they can find their own way through mm. their shame. Well, and I love doing those uh, talks because, you know, sometimes the kids show up and yeah. I think that, and then we leave time for questions at the end. And do you remember that young oh, boy? such a sweetie. He was like an 11 year old boy and he seemed engaged. His older brother seemed a little bit, I thought that he was. The younger boy was very, his, he had his eyes on us the whole time. And the older boy, I wasn't sure, but the uh, younger boy raised his hand right at the very end and said, what happens if my friend has a crush on a girl and he asked me not to tell anybody? And then my mom asks me, do any of my friends like any girls? Like, he's, he's, and he's like, do I owe her that? Yeah, it's a catch 22 because you want to not lie to your mom, mm-hmm. but you want to make sure that you can hold um, not, you know, a secret, I guess. Yeah, that's friendship. And I, I don't know... I don't, I think I should have said, well, what do you think you should do? Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I just told him. Well, no, I'm glad you didn't say that. Because I think he's the whole point of him asking that question. And I think that sometimes is too much of a parenting trope, you know, like, well, what do you, you know, like he's saying to you as an expert, what do I do? And I said, um, unless there's a safety issue. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta hold the word that you committed to your body. That's right. And then you can very say, you can say something to your mom, like, you know, um, I don't know, or I'm not, I can't really share. Right. And the thing is, is as parents, uh, sometimes the way that we define our relationship with our kids is we'll say, oh, my kids tell me everything. They tell me who likes who and whatever. And if that is information that they want to share, great. But them telling you all their friends' gossip and details does not define your relationship. Well, and I would say that's a withdrawal of connection. I, I, I mean, that's the thing is like, I will talk about things with my daughters. And sometimes I will say, I don't say like who likes who or who has a crush on who I'm not so blunt that way, but they'll say things like, well, that part I can't tell you because I told her I wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And to me, as lo- like Todd said, as long as it's not a safety thing, like no one's being harmed or feeling harmed or, you know, feeling like they can't speak up if they need to, that's just called friendship. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't, you don't need to tell your parents your deepest, darkest secrets with your friends. Right. Um, you know, like who they like, again, we're talking about really just basic stuff. Um, if they want to, if it somehow relieves the pressure that they feel, or again, I'll reiterate it, or they feel like their friend is in trouble, that's a totally different thing. And that's the thing that I feel like we've said the most to the girls is there's been plenty of things that they've kind of told us half of a story and said, that's kind of as much as I can go. And we have said, that's fine. But if you ever feel like you have a friend who's struggling, you can always come to us. And I can count, I, there's a few times that they have. Mm-hmm. So again, um, going back to what you said, you know, kids can not, not kid kids, but preteens and teens can come to these talks too. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank our, uh, last, our only partner of the week, Jeremy Kraft, avid company painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald headed beauty. Make sure you call him. And if you hire him, just rub his head because it's good luck. At least that's what I do. No, you ask him first. Oh yeah. You got to ask for consent yes. first and then you need a Don't. sober affirmative. Don't just go rub people's heads. Well, Jeremy's a sweetheart, so he'll probably give you... Actually, I know he will. He'll say yes. Will he? Maybe. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Um, 630-956-1800, avidco.net. Thank you, Jeremy Kraft, for partnering with us. We also do this thing called Team Zen, uh, 100% uh, zero pressure, 100% support. If you're interested, go to our webpage. Um, it's really the engine that kind of propels everything that we do. It's our community. It's our community. And if you want to help support that community and support Kathy and I, check it out. Go to zenparentingradio.com. And we're going to close the show, sweetie, 
with a little bit of John Mellencamp. So say goodbye to everybody. We're going to let this close out. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. What about my book, sweetie? Just my books. I want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, And guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. Uh, So we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at avidco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough, and uh, keep trucking. Adios.